What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Resistance, the weekly radio podcast where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest. In its 27th year, found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book, Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Today's guest on Hemp Present is author and media personality Billy Hayes, who escaped from a Turkish prison in the early 1970s. Billy is on the line and with me in about 60 seconds. You could say that it is midnight in America right now. We are faced with challenges most of us thought we'd never encounter. There are times when you have to wonder how to cope and how to process everything that's taking place in this country. But as bad as we may have it in some ways and as daunting as everything feels right now, the division, the vitriol, the threats from abroad, there are others who are being tested beyond anything we might imagine. There are men and women incarcerated in jails and prisons and places in the world and even here in the United States enduring a degree of suffering and a lack of humanity that is staggering. My guest today knows what I'm referring to because he's been there himself. On October 7, 1970, American student Billy Hayes was caught trying to smuggle four pounds of hashish out of the Middle East country of Turkey. 
Originally sentenced to four years and two months in a Turkish prison, with his release date just weeks away, Hayes learned that he was going to be given a life sentence for smuggling rather than a charge for possession. That life sentence... That life sentence was eventually commuted to 30 years, but was essentially a death sentence in a Turkish prison. Hayes pulled off a heroic and amazing escape. His subsequent and autobiographical book, Midnight Express, was adapted into an Oscar-winning 1978 movie of the same name, with a screenplay by Oliver Stone and with the late actor Brad Davis starring as Hayes. While his experiences would break many people... Billy Hayes has defied those odds and emerged as an energetic, dynamic, and inspirational character. And I'm so honored to have him with me today. Welcome, Billy, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you. Nice to be here. My pleasure. When you were arrested in Turkey for attempting to board a plane to New York with two kilos of hashish taped to your torso, you were only 23 (laughs) years old. I can't imagine my 23-year-old self going to another country alone and smuggling hash. Where did you get the nerve or the courage to do something like that? Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Actually, I don't get credit for uh, for any of my original. I made three prior successful hash trips in April of 1969, October of 1969, April of 1970, I got busted on my fourth trip, October 1970. So I kind of thought I had it down. I'd already done it three times. And walking out to the airport with four pounds of hash taped under my arms, I'd done it three times. I gotten away with it. So the fourth time, I was a bit surprised (laughs) when I suddenly realized that they had soldiers surrounding the plane. And having already come through customs and not been searched, I figured I was home free. But uh, no, they were searching people at the plane. Can I ask, was it dark oil-based hash or blonde water-based hash? Did you get to smoke or eat any of it? Oh, yeah. I actually was the same guy. It was a taxi cab driver who I met on my first trip. And eventually, he and I became friends. And I would go back to his house where I'd sit with his wife and his kids and we'd drink tea. And he and his brother-in-law would press the, the hash powder. They had sort of a little wooden mold and a bunch of uh, look like cloth and, and ice and water and they would press this stuff down into this plaques about yay by yay which is the size I wanted because I was taping it under my arms and around my 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 waist to bring it back and smuggling it so I I knew what it was I mean it was the best hash we, we had ever seen or heard of now there's no bad drugs I mean in terms of cannabis it's all good and, and it's wonderful and amazing and the varieties are there but back then when I brought it back there was a lot of ditch weed and occasionally some good Mexican weed would come up but this hash was unlike anything anybody had ever smoked before which is why it seemed like a good idea at the time to keep bringing it back until I was suddenly arrested at the airport when you, say, when you say powder, that sounds to me like mm-hmm. blonde water-based hash rather than that kind of thick uh, oil-based hash, which well, is kind of like putty. When, when, well, it was putty-ish. When they ended up pressing it down and, and forming it, it came out to be almost like a Turkish taffy bar in terms of the same size and right. the same consistency. Very, very back and forth. And it was a dark... Uh, a dark greenish to black color, most of it. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I, so, so, so maybe it was really good. <laughs> that, that, that does sound like oil-based hash. 
Um, and, and just let me ask, what was your life like mm -hmm. before you went to Turkey? What, what led up to the point when you were smuggling hashish to America? I, uh, I was a student at Marquette University. I went to their journalism school. I wanted to become a journalist and a writer, and I almost finished college, and then other things led me in other directions. And at one point, uh, I was working part-time at a, at a hospital, and uh, a friend of mine came back from Istanbul, and he had two little grams of hash hidden in his money belt. And we smoked it, and it was like the best hash we'd ever tried. And he told me, it's cheap, it's easy, they sell it right on the street. And at the time I was working in a hospital part-time and I was walking around and I went past what is the, uh, the cast room and I saw a doctor dipping a roll of plaster tape into water and wrapping it around a patient's broken leg. And an idea came to me <laughs> that changed my life. And two months later I was in an Istanbul hotel room with two kilos of hash black strapped around my leg and I wrapped this plaster of tape around and I put a big white cast on my leg and uh, came back to Istanbul Customs and New York Customs with all of this hash tape underneath the cast and that was my first trip and you know once it, once it worked I figured I could do it again and again and again which I did well, you were a very, uh, you know, industrious entrepreneur. You know, I started smoking I cannabis. I was an idiot. I was a 22-year-old <laughs> idiot. I, I thought I was invincible. It was, like, unbelievable. I look back now and think, are you kidding me? What a fucking fool. But at the time, I thought I could get away with it. I, I took my first toke at a Grand Funk Railroad concert in L.A. about 1971, and I started smoking regularly when I was 14 in 1972. And, and you oh. know, hash, I mean, like you said, Mexican dirt weed, commercial weed, we called it. And, and But when you got some hash, man, that was like the gold. Yeah. And I remember doing yeah. knife hits. You take two butter knives and put that ha a little chunk of hash between the two knives and then heat them up on the stove and take knife hits Breathe in your nose. Smoke. Right, exactly, and inhale that smoke in your nose, and it burns so good. Uh, Billy, along with millions of Americans, I was both horrified and spellbound by the movie Midnight Express when I saw it the first time. I've seen it many times. In fact, my wife and I right. caught it on TV just about three weeks ago. Brad it's Davis's still playing. portrayal. I just can't believe it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Brad, Brad Davis's yeah. portrayal was just exceptional. How much of the movie is accurate, and how much was embellished by Oliver Stone? Well,. First of all, Brad, Brad gave his heart and soul and made, that's made the film happen. It's a brilliant film. Alan Parker's a brilliant filmmaker, and Oliver Stone you know, makes amazing movies and is a great writer. And all that being said, they made some major changes from the real story that as a filmmaker myself now, I can understand the reason why and, and what they, they did. That, and then they, they made that artistic license. Yeah, creative license, artistic license, the fact that, you know, they, the escape, at the end, it was sort of an afterthought in the movie. In real life, I, 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 escaped, I got transferred to an, to an island prison and escaped off an island in a rowboat in a storm and spent three days running through Turkey and dyeing my hair and then swimming across the Maritza River into Greece and avoiding border guards. Made for Hollywood. It's, it's the one thing I knew when I first got back that, and I started, was starting writing the book, that that's what they were going to love is the escape. In fact, I was concerned people were going to say, oh, that made up Hollywood ending, that escape. They didn't even use it. They just had me kill this guard, which I didn't do, and then skip out the door. I can understand why, as a filmmaker, they would not spend a lot of, you know, they didn't have much money on this film. And escaping in a storm at night and shooting that and then running through Turkey for three days, 
would have been expensive. So they made a change in that, which I can almost appreciate, but I kind of miss, where's my rowboat, God damn it. They gave me back my life after five years of having everything around you say, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. That shit seeps in. And eventually you believe it and you are. And like getting myself out gave me back my life. And I wanted, I mean, to have the oars in my hand, I, and I wanted to see that in the movie, but they didn't do it. Then there's other things. I think what most people remember in the movie Midnight Express is the courtroom scene, where instead of going free in 50, 54 days, I'm resentenced to life, and I have a chance to speak. And in the movie, Oliver Stone's words, they've got my character screaming at the Turkish court, you're a nation of pigs, I fuck you all, I fuck your sons, and I fuck your daughters. First off, if you're sentenced to prison in a country and you know you're going to go back into that jail, you don't stand there and say, I fuck all your sons and daughters. It made no sense. It was powerful and it was emotional, but it made no sense. And for me personally, I, I said, you know, I've been in your prison for more than three years. You're going to sentence me to more prison. I can't agree with you. All I can do is forgive you. <laughs> forgive you. Fuck your sons and daughters. Big difference between the two the world and Turkey heard fuck your sons and daughters. And I've been living with that for the last 40 years. Man. <laughs> you saw the movie. You, you heard the scene I'm talking about. You were with the rest of the audience screaming up at the character. You, you're with my character screaming at the Turks that enraged the world against the Turks. And it enraged the Turks against me <laughs> because they've got my character after killing a Turkish guard, which I didn't do screaming in the urination of pigs and I fuck you all. They didn't, the Turkish government didn't issue an Interpol warrant for my arrest when I escaped or when my first book, Midnight Express, came out. When the movie came out and they saw that scene, a scene in a movie, they issued a warrant for my arrest that stood for the next 20 years. And it's caused me an immense amount of grief. And in truth, it's not fair to Turkey or the, the Turkish people. I, I didn't like the system of government, but I love this Istanbul. I got along great with the Turks. I smuggled hash out of it for, for four times. I love this Istanbul. I had a Turkish girlfriend. So the government, especially now, I'm totally against the Turkish government now. They're as fascistic as, as Trump is trying to be. But that's another issue. But the people in the city I loved, and they got such a bad rap from that movie. I understand... Greeks and Armenians having issues with the Turks. I understand all that politics and stuff, but I'm not talking that. I'm just talking the people that I met and the city. Istanbul is an amazing city. I loved Istanbul. Well, Billy, and it then sounds, I saw a different it's, it's, side of it. it. It sounds like you know Oliver Stone, uh, a gasp, was spreading fake news. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, my guest, yeah. my guest is Billy Hayes. And we're going to take our first pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws. Hear that word from sponsors and advertisers so we can pay the rent cool. and come back with our second segment. Don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Friday night, August 25th, CannabisRadio.com and the United States Cannabis Conference and Expo invite you aboard the hottest party of the summer. Burn like a baller and party like a player. At High Tide, an exclusive VIP experience aboard a luxurious $40 million mega yacht sailing along the intercoastal and all points in between. High Tide is destined to be the can't-miss nighttime networking event for anyone active in the cannabis space. Don't miss the boat. Tickets are going fast. RSVP now 
at usccexpo.com and search for Mega Yacht Party. That's usccexpo.com and search for Mega Yacht Party. Join us in Anaheim, California, this October 22nd and 23rd at NCIA and CCIA's California Cannabis Business Conference. With 60,000 square feet of expo floor, over 3,000 cannabis business leaders, and over 100 thought leaders and policymakers, the California Cannabis Business Conference is the place to learn how to navigate the world's largest adult use market. Register today at www.CaliforniaCannabisBusinessConference.com. The 2018 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo is just days away. August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Don't miss out on a jam-packed weekend of education, speed networking, powerful keynotes, plus our can't-miss networking mega-yacht event, High Tide. You still have time to join us in Miami August 24th through the 26th for the 2018 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Don't miss out. Log on to usccexpo.com and register now. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present with Billy Hayes. Billy, you were in both a mental hospital and a prison. What were the conditions like in there? Was there at any time a point where you thought, gee, I might not survive this? Um, the prison was, you know, nasty and steel and stone and prison and bars and such, but everything is perspective. It wasn't until I went to the mental hospital, I discovered in in my various times and ways of trying to escape, I discovered there was a clause in the Turkish law that said, if you get judged to be crazy, mentally incompetent, insane, they can't keep you in prison. But if you're that crazy, they don't put you on the street. They keep you in this mental hospital, Bakirkoy, which was, uh, again, um, don't appreciate what I have till I lose it. I didn't appreciate prison till I got to Bakirkoy and tried to get a crazy report. Bakirkoy Hospital has been closed now for about 15 or 20 years. Good for the Turkish government. But while I was there... It was just this broken down, it was a couple of hundred year old barracks that used to be run for the Sultan's Janissary troops. And that was just cram full of criminally insane people. I mean, literally the charge to get you in there is you've done something criminally insane. So I got myself, bribing the prison doctor, get sent there in an attempt to get a crazy report so that I would be kept there and out of the, the harder prison that I was first in and try and escape from the hospital. I, most of my friends at the time wouldn't have thought it would be hard for me to get a crazy report. And then I saw the competition. I mean, it was truly, <laughs> I, I'm making jokes of it in some ways, but it was frightening and it was so, there was so much pathos because the mad, I mean, really the insane, but they're so, they're so frightening and they're so heartbreaking and they're so gone and lost and there was no control. I mean, this is a horrific place. It reminded me of the old Boris Karloff film uh, uh, where the doctor uh, got uh, in a mental hospital somewhere. Bedlam, I think was the name of it, where at the end of it, the inmates bricked the doctor up alive in the wall. It had elements of that in it. And I went there thinking I'm going to get a crazy report. It was like nothing I've ever seen before. Was it anything um, like the movie? 
very similar. It's a strange, you know, the film is, there's things in the film that are close and the things that aren't. And we, I talked about some of those in the courtroom. This was so close in so many ways. And one of the reasons is Alan Parker actually went out to an insane asylum on Malta and filmed inmates. So I heard Alan talking afterwards. In fact, in the documentary, they've got him talking where he said, you know, I would never do that again. I feel like I know it worked, but I feel like it was exploitive of these people because, I mean, there is the the truly insane or there's so much pathos in there. So the film worked because that scene had true madmen in it. And what was it was very like? close to uh, like everything else. You know, there's bread and you get bread every day and then there's uh, beans and rice and uh, all sorts of lentily shit. And then you can buy stuff. Turkish prison even in a madhouse, if you have money, you buy stuff. There's always ways to get stuff. Because, you know, if there's a need, somebody will fill it. That's why there was more drugs in jail than on the street, because everybody wanted a way to get out. But the madhouse was, I've never been in anything like it. I was there, I think, two and a half weeks, and then they brought me back to the prison. When I got back to the prison, I got there, and like the guys who I've been seeing now, I was like in prison about a year before I went to the madhouse. And I came back, I, I said, oh, man, it's so nice to be back here. And these guys looked at me like, the fuck are you talking about? It's like they hadn't been to Bakakoy. Prison was bad, but things can always get worse. So Bakakoy was the bottom of the birdcage for me. Um, wow. And I think I, that you there's, know, there's, there's, writing, there's... Go ahead. Uh, writing the book, Midnight Express, I, I kept putting it off to write that chapter. I had Bill Hoffer, the guy who worked with me and organized me and kind of like forced me to keep writing. Because I'd, I'd have quit. I didn't want to think about prison. I didn't want to get into all this shit. I wanted to forget jail. But the book was so good and so therapeutic. And Bill Hoffer is kind of like my wife. I mean, just forced me to not take any excuses and forced me to do it. And I kept putting off the Madhouse chapters. I think it's like chapter nine in the book or something. And I kept putting it off until the very end. And he said, we got everything else done. And we're on a deadline here. We had to get this book done quick. That was just the way the, the publishing world was at the time. And we had a hot story. So it was like I put I wrote everything except the madhouse. And my finding I had no more choice. I sat down and pretty much broom and wrote the whole thing out. And Hoffer had virtually no feedback or, or comments on any of it, you know, change the shade. It's like he said, that's it. So that was the last chapter of Midnight Express, just because I didn't want to get back there. And, and to think that there are people right now someplace like that in this world with no hope that they'll ever get out. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's it's frightening to me because in this day and age, you know, I was in the uh, the cannabis business 50 years ago and it was a very different business and a different world. I love what's happening now. I love the fact that it's legal. I love the fact that people have accepted that cannabis could be this healing, all the good stuff that's happening. And, and, yes, and you're, and you're still we, a stoner. Uh, wait, wait. Well, of course, I've smoked cannabis virtually every day for 50 years, and I'm the healthiest guy I know. The fact that I've also done yoga every day for 50 years is a big factor here. But my point is, we're talking about, or I am at least, how how wonderful it is to be in this cannabis world as opposed to back 50 years ago when I was there in prison and stuff. But as we speak, there's half a million people in prison tonight yes. for fucking cannabis. So, yes. like, I keep... You know, I keep wanting to bring that up because for 40 years, everything I've said, you know, I've done thousands of fucking interviews of the book and the film and blah, 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 blah. 
but it, you know, if you say it once or you say it a thousand times, it's still true if you say it true the first time. And what I've said for 40 years is stop putting fucking kids in prison for pot. The insanity of that, the, the hypocrisy of that, it just yeah. drove me insane. And I love the fact that things have come around to where they are now, despite the government and and then, the, you know, the uh, pumpkin face cock splat that's, that's the president. Um, but prison is still there and all these people are still there tonight. And I love yeah. the fact that um, I think Sa I know San Francisco did and I think Seattle did have begun to open some doors. It's a slow yes. process, but it's happening. So that's yes. encouraging, at least. I knew yeah, the wheel would turn. I knew someday this would be legal, and they're not going to be putting people in jail, but it's been such a long time coming. Well, as you know, I spent 30, 30 years of my life full-time working to change the laws. and, and oh, now I admire you guys and all of the activists, all of the people that have been working and doing the job. I mean, I blah, 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 and talk, but you guys have been doing the work. You guys have been setting it up and taking care of people. Congratulations, by the way. Well, well, Long we, ways, but you've gotten there. Excuse me. We're working on the 27th Annual Seattle Hemp Fest, and, and in Pot's Legal here, there's stores all over the place. You walk in, and there's rows and rows of buds. Show your ID, buy, it, buy an eighth or yep. a gram or a joint, and you walk out. And I have so many people say, oh, Hemp Fest? Are you why are you still doing Hempfest? Isn't it legal? And it really pisses me off uh, because people like mm. Jimmy Romans, Jimmy Romans is in prison. He got a life sentence for marijuana. George Martirano, we actually helped get him out or I didn't help get him out. He just got out, but we, we put money on his books for the last several years. Jeff Mazensky, mm -hmm. we sent Jeff money as well. And now we're sending a hemp fest. Seattle hemp fest raises money with raffles at our events and stuff. And, and we put it on Jimmy Roman's books. He's got 18 years before he can uh, get out. Uh, oh, man. It's in, and, and there's no parole in federal. Right. Um, and, and, and oh, I tell people man. go to Idaho, go across the fucking Idaho border and tell me that pot's legal. Right. We need a geographical to distinctions in legality still exist. That's right. You cross. I used to do these these college lectures for a bunch of years because I love talking to college kids. But all of them are like they think they're invincible. Like I knew I was until suddenly I realized I wasn't. And, and like a joint behind your ear in one state and you cross the border. It's it's illegal. Luckily, yeah. that's changing. But, you know, I had a friend recently who was driving down to Florida and she got stopped in Texas. And she's like a 65 year old woman and she had hemp product for, for her wrists and her, and they just gave her an incredible amount of bullshit. And she ended up paying like hundreds of dollars worth of fine and getting scared shitless for a product that is legal, that is yeah. healing people. And that has been doing it for 5,000 years, except when yeah. the dick shit war on drugs. I'm preaching to the choir. I, please, I, I apologize for ranting here. Well, you know, you know, Billy, I, I interviewed a while back, I interviewed a guy named John Inman, who's in Florida, and he's very sick. He's got spinal fluid and leaking into his brain, and, and it's he's in frontal mm -hmm. pain. He's got a medical marijuana card for Florida. And recently... Uh, the, the police showed up at his house with two armored personnel carriers, tanks essentially, with 20 SWAT team members with assault rifles, and they raided his home uh, because he had an ounce of weed, uh, and his daughter also has a card, and he told them, he says, I have a medical marijuana card, and they said, what's that? And then they said, well, who gave you that because we're going we're gonna to investigate that doctor, right? And so it's, it's still going on, man. You know, yeah, it, it's, I know. it's, it's, it's I know. still going on. We still have a lot of work to do. 
Um, the wheel is turning, but uh, yeah, a lot of work, a continued amount of work. Sure, well, but it is pro- turning. I feel it. Prohibitionists, they don't just lay down and stop. You know, they 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 keep find working ways until we get it off the federal schedule, man, and out of the Controlled Substance Act. It's going to somebody, you know, somebody right now yes. while we're having this, somebody's got the lights behind them right now in America, or their car, their doors being bashed in, and they break the windows yes. out, you know, because they SWAT raids, they bust out all your windows just because, you know, yep. who knows? I mean, maybe you're going to shoot yeah. out the window or something. They basically fuck with you every way they possibly can. Uh, while we still have some time, you were a wanted man in Turkey for three decades, uh, and at one time, as you mentioned, there was an Interpol warrant out for your arrest. Right, how did that? How right. did that situation turn around? A uh, long story, but eventually, I went back to Turkey. Actually, I went back to Istanbul as part of a documentary that was done that actually blew my mind, and it gave me a chance to come back and to connect and to heal with the Turkish people and to talk about the differences between the book and the film. How I said. You know, I forgive you, and I didn't kill anybody. And the movie said, "Fuck your sons and daughters," and it changed everything, which I loved. Which I loved. It made a, you know, the one thing I learned in jail is my purpose for being is to love. <laughs> so simple, yeah, but uh, it changed my life. It just changed my life, and uh, that's what I try and do now, in whatever way or form I can connect with, and with the people who are like-hearted, which you sir are, and you're spreading it around. So. Keep it up. Well, Keep you up. came out relatively amazingly unscathed considering everything that you were you went through and your story has I'm been a, a lucky gift. Guy. Your story has I'm been a gift a uh, to all of us in a lot of ways. And I'm sure there's somebody that was thinking about smuggling some dope from over there that saw that movie and said, you know, I think I'm gonna stay home. <laughs> <laughs> My guest yes, is still yes, yes. The illustrious Billy Hayes. We're going to take another pause and hear a word from our sponsors. We're going to roach it for just a minute. Uh, don't go anywhere because we're coming back for our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us hem present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Join us in Anaheim, California this October 22nd and 23rd at NCIA and CCIA's California Cannabis Business Conference. With 60,000 square feet of expo floor, over 3,000 cannabis business leaders, and over 100 thought leaders and policymakers, the California Cannabis Business Conference is the place to learn how to navigate the world's largest adult use market. Register today at www.CaliforniaCannabisBusinessConference.com. The 2018 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo is just days away. August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Don't miss out on a jam-packed weekend of education, speed networking, powerful keynotes, plus our can't-miss networking mega-yacht event, High Tide. You still have time to join us in Miami August 24th through the 26th for the 2018 United States Cannabis Conference and Expo. Don't miss out. Log on to usccexpo.com and register now. Do you have new ideas that you believe will make a difference in the cannabis industry? Looking to make your brand or service stand out? The first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo is seeking sponsors and speakers for its inaugural event August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Cannabis business professionals, medical cannabis caregivers and clinicians, growers and dispensary owners are all welcome to join us for this brand new event sponsored by the radio and podcast leader for all things cannabis, CannabisRadio.com. Grow with us in this groundbreaking event, the first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo, August 24th through the 26th at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Learn more at usccexpo.com. 
Back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back for our final questions with Billy Hayes. Billy, uh, my brother, we are kindred spirits, man. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sorry I only have a half an hour because uh, there's so much that we could cover. Um, it's just amazing to have you on the show and, and to now to know you personally. Uh, what do you got going on these days? I know you have a one-man show, I think. And if people wanted to yeah. get a hold of you or track you or follow your stuff, how can they do that? There's uh, Go to BillyHayes.com, B-I-L-L-Y-H-A-Y-E-S, BillyHayes.com. I can barely open my emails, but my producer's got some, some people who put this little website up that keeps track of what we've been doing, which is the last five years now. Uh, I've been doing this one-man show that I wrote and uh, riding the Midnight Express with Billy Hayes, and we've been traveling the world doing a, a one-man show, which as an actor is such a gift, such a joy, because I'm, I'm doing a show and I keep getting a chance to do it again and again and talking and connecting to people. I do a Q&A afterwards, and we've been literally all over the world. We were down in Melbourne a couple of times in New York and upstate New York, and we were in... Uh, we were in Lebanon. I got to go to, I just love that. We, uh, we were in uh, Lebanon doing the show in Beirut last year. And we have my producer left last night to fly to New Zealand. And she's setting up a New Zealand, Australia, and then South Africa tour for us, which I'm so thrilled. I've never been to South Africa. So it's a joy and a treat uh, to be able to do the show and to connect with people all over the world and to feel the change in attitude towards cannabis, towards prisons, towards, you know, this, the, the insanity has changed and the reality is there. You know, cannabis is a product that people all over the world have known in one form or another. And they're all of the ilk that, you know, it's insane to put people in jail for this, which I just love to hear. And it's, it's been a fun thing to do. I, I interviewed not long ago a, a mother of a child with uh, epilepsy in South Africa, fighting the same fight to get cannabis to her to her da- her daughter. Uh, Billy Hayes, yeah. uh, man, my man, thank you so much. It's so great to talk to you, and thank you for, so much for being on the show, man. All right, brother. Take care. All right, and now I'm going to get to a weekly feature. Hemisphere on cannabisreader.com. And that's the quote of the week, and here it is. And I quote. Freedom in general may be defined as the absence absence of obstacles to the realization of desires, and that is the British philosopher, mathematician, and historian Bertrand Russell. That concludes this installment here presented on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more for a repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on a journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. Because when it comes to prohibition, you got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Till then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, token easy. Don't forget to email me at hemperzen at gmail.com. The Hemperzen theme song to make back the plant is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of myself when I get words out a lot easier. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.